Good morning once again, church. Good morning. What a blessing. What a blessing. It is a joy to welcome each and every one of you here today. And it is encouraging to my heart um, that we can get together to hear God's Word for our lives. Uh, so let's open up our hearts. I'm going to ask you to open up your hearts and, and your Bibles to God's Word in the book of Haggai today. If you don't have a Bible, uh, if you do have a Bible and you can't find the book of Haggai, go to the New Testament, to the very first book, the book of Matthew, and you go three books back in the Bible, and then you'll find the book of Haggai there. And um, if not, we will also have uh, the verses on the screen. Uh, but also you can have, uh, you can see the verses in your notes. Your notes are in the bulletin. If you see in the middle of your bulletin, pull out your notes, uh, so that way we can be edified with the Word of God this morning. For the past four weeks, we have been talking. Today is our fifth week on these, uh, on this beautiful book. Beautiful book that is hidden back in the Old Testament. Uh, a lot of people don't even know that. Uh, who is Haggai? You know, who, uh, I remember years ago, the first time I preached on the book of Haggai, people were like, there is a book that's named, that, that's called Haggai? And, uh, and, uh, you know, it's only two chapters in the Bible, but these two chapters in the Bible are very, very amazing chapters in the Bible, in the book of Haggai. And, uh, it talks about our priorities and, uh, how, uh, you know, how to have our priorities um, straight with God and, uh, you know, how can God become the priority of priorities in your life? And priorities are, are, are all about to put first things first, right? First things first. A lot of times, one of the main reasons why we don't experience the blessing, the, the blessings that God wants us to experience is because God is not the priority number one in our lives. It's very simple. But, but, but even though it's very simple to understand that, it's hard to make it happen. And if I ask anybody, even if I go out to the street, I go to the sidewalk and I find a person, I say, is God a priority number one in your life? There is a big, there's a huge chance that person's going to say, yes, God is priority number one in my life. And I would say, how many times a day do you pray? How many, do you read the Bible? Most likely they'll say no. But they will say with words that God is number one in their life. But it's not the same thing to say it than to do it. And a lot of times we miss on the blessings God has prepared for us because we have not put God as a priority number one in our lives. And so in 2024, as we began the year a month ago, we wanted to go over this because whether it's a work, family, hobbies, or all these little things in between, we have learned that priorities act like a compass in our life. They're guiding us through chaos in life and helping us to find our way back to what truly matters. When you look at priorities, when you look at the stuff where you put your time, when you put your effort, where you put your resources, that will tell you what your priorities are. If you want to know, that's, it's very simple. If you want to know, what do I prioritize in my life? So, check how much time do you spend in something? How much effort do you put in that? And are you putting your resources in that? And you will know what your priorities are. So, you have, uh, you know, we have decided to uh, go over this book so we can, we can help ourselves to fix that part in our life. Because Jesus clearly gave a principle in, in, in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse, 20, uh, verse 25 and on, and specifically on verse 31, Jesus said, uh, a lot of times you guys worry about what you should eat, what you should wear, uh, what clothes to put on, and, and you worry about tomorrow so much, Jesus said, that you forget first thing. First thing first is seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. When you worry about seeking God and His righteousness, the Bible says God will worry about what you need in life. Notice this. What does it really mean to, uh, to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Uh, does it mean you put God first? Yes, it does. 
Does it mean you go on your day without remembering to pray and to uh, talk to God about your day and, and, you know, talk to God to protect you during the day? No, it means that you take God in consideration. It means that before you make decisions, you go to the Word of God and you, 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 you know, you want to know what does God say about the, the decisions I'm about to make? What does God say about the way I behave? What does God say the way I talk to other people? You know, you consider God first. In other words, you seek first the kingdom of God. You want to make sure that you know what God wants you to do in your life. When you worry about what God has for you, and when you worry about putting God first, then He worries about what we need in our daily life. And He says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all the things that you worry about will be added on to you. So put God above all else. That's what Jesus was saying. With your action, not just with your words. So now... That was not a new message when Jesus preached that message in uh, Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon of the Mountain. That was not a new message. This message was coming all the way from the Old Testament. God kept on telling people over and over and over, you got to make sure you remember to put me first. Put me first over and over and over. And God repeated this message over and over. And He still repeats this message nowadays. Because God knows how easy... It is for human beings to get distracted. Don't we get distracted easily? We can easily get distracted. We as human beings can get distracted so easily. And, and we begin to put other things in our lives. And, and when we less expect it, when we, all of a sudden you realize you have put God in the back seat. Now God is not the one uh, driving your life anymore. But He's in the back seat of your life. And you are at the wheel. And uh, a lot of times when we are at the wheel in our lives, we that's when we make the bad, bad choices, big mistakes that we make sometimes. So that's what God's message was to the people of Israel in the book of Haggai in the Old Testament. God wanted to be the priority number one in their lives. And, and, and so God was telling them, you guys have forgotten about me. You guys forgot that life is all about remembering that I should be number one because I will provide for you what you need for your life. So Haggai the prophet wrote four different messages in this book. We have already gone through two different messages of this book in the last four weeks. And today, believe it or not, in one day, we're going to go over the last two messages of this book. So, we went over the first two messages. What was the first message? The first message of Haggai was in chapter 1. The whole chapter 1 was a message of conviction. Conviction. What is conviction? Conviction is when God speaks to you about something you're not doing right. You're looking at the Word of God, and the Word of God says that the Word of God is like a mirror to us. When you read the Word of God, you can see the things that you are doing good, but you can also see the things that you are not doing good. It's like a mirror, the book of James says. So God wanted to give him a message of conviction. Let's remember, uh, they were not doing good. Things were not going good for them. It was a hard message to swallow for the people. It was a hard message for their ears, but it was necessary. And a lot of times, God gives us messages in our lives through the Scriptures that are not easy to swallow, but they're necessary to our lives. And they have been freed from, remember, God freed them from captivity. Uh, they were, they were slaves to the Babylonians. And after they, He freed them from captivity, He, He, He told them, you guys gotta go and rebuild the temple. And so they, they went and they were starting to rebuild the temple, but opposition rise. And when they were, uh, they were experiencing opposition in their life, what they did is they dropped all the tools, they dropped everything they were doing, and they said, you know what, we're getting opposition, we're not going to deal with this. Yeah, God's temple can weigh, we'll just worry about God later. And, and so when opposition rise, they didn't like that. So they waited for 16 years until God brought the prophet Haggai. Sixteen years later, when God brings Haggai, God brings Haggai with the message of conviction. And God, and Haggai tells him, God tells him through Haggai, you know, you have planted much, but you harvest little. You eat, but you never have enough. 
You, uh, you drink, but you never have, uh, you never have your fill. You have put clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. In other words, God was telling them, the reason you guys are never satisfied with everything, the reason you guys are not doing well, the reason you guys are not experiencing the blessings that I have for you, is because I'm not a priority number one in your life. And so he was basically telling them, this is the reason why things are not going well for you. A lot of times when things are not going well for us, I believe it is time for us to sit down and examine our lives. What am I not doing that, I, that I'm supposed to be doing? Or what am I doing... To experience the consequence that I'm doing. Am I doing something that is not pleasing to God? And so therefore I'm experiencing the consequence for not doing that. So so God told them after he says, this is the reason why you guys are not experiencing your blessings. So God told them in verse uh, verse 5, uh, let's go to verse 5 and 6, verse 5 and 7, the next slide. In verses... Uh, uh, I'm sorry, so I, I guess it's not there. But in verses 5 and 7, he tells them, give, give careful thought to your ways. It is in your outline, by the way. Uh, you know, in other words, think about, think about what you're doing. Think about how you're living life. And, and so, how were they living life? Remember, in verse 2 and 3. It's in your outline too, so uh, you can read it there. Uh, in verses 2 and 3, he was basically telling them, the reason you're not experiencing this is because you are saying for 16 years, you came to rebuild my temple 16 years ago. 16 years later, you're still saying there is, it, 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 it's still time, there's no, it's, it's not the time yet to rebuild the Lord's house. So in other words, they waited 16 years to obey God. And he says, you know, you guys keep on saying it's not time yet, it's not time yet. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai, and he told them again. He said, you know, it is time for you guys to live in your uh, well-decorated houses, but my, while my house is still in ruins. So they waited 16 years in this, this message of conviction, which is the first message in Haggai. They waited 16 years to finally obey the Lord, because after this message, at the end of chapter 1, they obeyed. And they went and did what God was telling them to do. But here's the question. In the first message of conviction, it took them 16 years to obey. How long does it take us to obey God? How many times has God speak to your heart? How many times has God tell you to change your ways? How many times has God tell, you know, tell us, let us know that we're not doing something right? How long does it take? You know, it, it is very unfortunate sometimes that until we go through something really hard in life, that's when we finally turn around and say, Lord, I give up. Now, I remember when I gave my life to the Lord, when I rededicated my life to the Lord. I gave my life to the Lord when I was about 10 years old. But then I, I, just, I just walked away. I wanted to be that prodigal son. And I remember, you know, I remember I had a friend who would always come to me and tell me, Hey, Oscar, I'm, uh, uh, you know, inviting me to church. Let's go to church. Let's go to church. And I would say, Oh, yeah, I'll go to church. And then when he was there for me to pick me up, I was never there. I would never come to church with him. So one Sunday, I said, Next Sunday, I, I promise. You know, you know how people can be. I said, I promise I'll go to church next Sunday. Well, next Sunday there was a soccer game. And you guys know I'm not, a, I'm not much of a soccer fan, right? So I'm like, you know what? I got to leave earlier. So I, he doesn't find me at home, right? So I left. I left. Around 5 o'clock before the game started, I began feeling this pain right here. And I said, what's going on here? And I remember uh, the pain just increased and increased. I never had problems with stomach aches. The pain increased, increased, increased. So that was a Sunday night. That was a Sunday evening. I went to the doctor, and the doctor said, the first hospital I went to, I'm not going to tell you the name of the hospital because it's so bad. The, the doctor said, you have gas build up. 
I said, guys, build up. This, this hurts crazy. This is it's hurting too much. And the doctor said, it's just guys build up. And he gave me some laxatives, okay? Made it worse. Because it wasn't guys build up. So then the next day at 5 in the morning, I'm calling a friend and I'm asking my friend. I said, can you come pick me up and take me to another hospital? And they took me to another hospital, and in that hospital, they began doing some, running some tests. They couldn't see anything. At that time, they couldn't see that your appendix was, that your appendix was ruptured. They could only assume. Now, now I think that technology has improved so much, they can tell now. But back then, they couldn't tell. They had to guess. And so what they did is they said, you know what, I, I just need you to sign this. If you sign this, because we're not responsible, it seems like your appendix is ruptured. So I signed this form, you know, in case I die, right? And it's like, oh, fun. How fun, right? So, so I remember the doctor the next day after they did surgery, it was my appendix. It had rupture. And after my appendix had rupture, I remember I had two holes over here in the side. And when I woke up, I woke up with a couple of hoses coming out. Out of, out of this side and, and, and draining all the, um, all the infection that was in my body. But, but I remember that's when I said, Lord, I give up. You've been after me for so long. And I kept on saying, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. And the people of Israel here, they waited for 16 years to do this. They waited 16 years to listen to the message of conviction that the prophet Haggai brought to them. Pretty amazing how sometimes we wait until something, something strong happens in our lives. But, but there was a second message. They finally obeyed this message. And after they obeyed this message, then a month later, in chapter 2, verse 1 through 9 in Haggai, chapter 2, verse 1 through 9, they, the Lord had to give them a message of encouragement. Why? Because in verse 1 through 3, remember that people came over and as they rebuilt the temple, they, they, they were beginning to do the rebuilding of the temple. Some of the people that had seen the previous temple before it was destroyed by the Babylonians, they said, you know what? This is what they're building here is never going to be as good as that. So they fell into the, uh, you know, the, the mistake of comparing. And, and we talk about, uh, you know, how bad it is to compare people, to compare things. You know, you got to go with what God is giving you uh, now. Whatever is new that God is making and building in your life, you got to go with that. You got to make sure you pay attention to what God, the new things God is doing in your life, not the old things. And so they were comparing, uh, and so they were discouraged. A month later, they were going to give up. And that is just to show us how easily human beings get discouraged when something... You know, sometimes there are small things that happen in our lives. And with so many little things... We easily get discouraged. So, so we, we start walking with the Lord or we, we, we start with a new project and something comes up and something, you know, it sounds a little negative and we're like, you know, I don't want to do that anymore. I, I don't want to serve the Lord anymore. I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to keep on going with the business I started. Or, or, you know, little things that discourage our hearts. And so the Lord had to come to them uh, through Haggai again and gives them a message of encouragement. And he tells Zerubbabel, who was the governor, he was also an Israelite, and he tells Joshua, who was the priest, and he tells the people, he says, be strong, Zerubbabel. Now, be strong, Joshua, in verse uh, in verses 4. And, and then he tells, at the end of verse 4, he tells the people, Be strong, all you people of the land, uh, declares the Lord, and work. Do not get discouraged. So the second message, first message, message of conviction. Second message, message to encourage them because they were getting discouraged. And why were they supposed to stay encouraged? Why are we supposed to stay encouraged through life? Not because life is, it's, it's all good and nothing ever happens that is negative or bad. No, we gotta stay encouraged because the Lord has shown us His faithfulness in the past. And so He tells them, this is what I covenant with you when you came out of Egypt. I was faithful to you in the past. I will be faithful to you now. And that is the same thing God is telling us. 
God has been faithful. The reason we are here, the reason you are sitting where you are, is because God has not failed. He has been faithful to you every single day of your life. And also, we should stay encouraged because my spirit remains among you. I am with you, says the Lord. My spirit is with you. Do not get discouraged. The, these things that discourage you in life, you know, one of the things the enemy, Satan, loves to do is to discourage us. If there's two things I said before in the past couple of weeks ago, I mentioned to you guys, if there are two things that Satan likes to use is, number one, fear. That you experience fear and discouragement. When you experience fear and discouragement, the devil likes that stuff. Because now, when you let fear in your life and you let discouragement in your life, basically, you're frozen. You're stuck. And so he gives them a message of encouragement. Third message. We go on now to verse uh, 10. And the third message which is what we're going to see today, the third and the fourth message, is a message of grace. So here's a message of conviction. You guys are not doing what you guys are supposed to do. They repent, and they started to do the right thing, but then they got discouraged because opposition and comparison uh, came up. And so they got discouraged, and God says, "Uh uh-uh, this is not going to happen again. It happened 16 years ago. It's not going to happen again. Let me encourage you. Let me remind you, I am with you. So a message of uh, conviction, a message of encouragement, and then when he comes to the third message, he tells them, you know, you guys have repented. You guys have repented of your sin. You guys are now putting me as a number one in your life. I'm going to show you how this works, he says. And then he gives him a message of grace. So God explains. God wants to explain the message of grace with apples and pears. Look at, look at how he does it. They understood this clearly. Clearly, It's a little harder for us to understand it because we're not too familiar with the law. With, 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 with the law, the way the law was written back then. And, and he says... He says he came to the message with the message of grace. Uh, remember, uh, the day he came to the message of encouragement on the 21st, the, the 20, the 21st day of the seventh month. Now, in verse 10, he says, on the 24th day of the ninth month. So two months later, after he gave them a message of encouragement, two months later, he's giving them this message of grace. So they have been working in rebuilding the temple for two months after the last message, for three months from the beginning of the first message of conviction. So three months, two months, and now in the month number nine, he comes and basically tells the Lord Almighty. And he begins by asking them two questions. The first questions, the first question he asked the priest. He asked the priest, what the law says. And the first question was, if someone carries consecrated meat in the fall of their garment, and that fall touches some bread or stew or some wine, olive oil or other food, does it become consecrated? So if you, are, if you, knew, if you know the law in those days, the way it worked is the priest was supposed to bring the meat and put the meat in, uh, in, uh, in a fall of their garment. But if that touches anything that was not clean, and, and, and God is saying, you know, what, what is the answer to that? What does the law says? And the priest says, no, it doesn't become consecrated. It doesn't get infected. And so you might be wondering, like, well, what, what is this? What is really God saying over here? This is, it doesn't seem too clear. It doesn't, you'll see what I'm talking about right now. You'll see what God is trying to communicate to them right now. And then he comes up with the second question. And he says, so if something holy, basically what he's saying, if something holy touches something that is unholy, does it get ruined? Uh, does it transfer? Does the holy part, the holy thing transfer into the unholy? And the priest says, no, it doesn't transfer. 
So now he says, so he asks the question the opposite way. And he says, if a person defiles, it's defiled by contact with the dead body and, and touches, uh, with the dead body, touches one of these things, one of these things that are holy, thus it becomes defiled. So first he said, if something that is good and holy touches the unholy, thus it becomes, thus the unholy thing becomes holy now because the holy thing touches the unholy. The priest says, no, the law says, it doesn't happen. The law, not God, the law. Uh, and then he says, so if, you know, what's unholy touches what is, uh, what, what is, um, and then Haggai said, so, verse 13, if a person is defiled by contact of a dead body, uh, a dead body touches one of these things, does it becomes defiled? And he says, yes. So, in, 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 in other words, what he's saying is, Let's suppose there is a person who is healthy. So this is God. God is healthy. So if a person who is healthy, and a healthy person comes in here and we're all sick, does that person who is healthy will make us healthy? Would would that person make us healthy? No. That holy does not, by touching, by law, the holy does not make the unholy holy. That's by law. And then God says, but if a person who is sick walks into that door, and we're all healthy, that sick person, will that sick person contaminate the rest of us? Most likely, yes, right? So he says that is the normal course of life. That is the normal way things work. And, and so what God is telling them is, look at what it says when after the priest says, yes, he replies. Then Haggai says, so it is with these people and this nation in my sight. In other words, he's saying the people of Israel are sick. The people of Israel are people who are broken. And the worst sickness they have is seen in their heart. The people of Israel are sick and broken. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to do totally the opposite the law says. I'm going to go against nature. I'm going to go against nature. I am the holy one. And if a holy thing or a holy person touches the unholy, the unholy thing does not become holy, but I am going to make it happen. You you follow me? He says, I am going to make it happen. I'm going to go against nature. I'm going to go against what's normal. I'm going to make it. I am. I am God. So I am going to touch the unholy. I'm going to touch your heart. You people, he says, you people are unholy. You people are sinners. So me that I'm the holy one, I am going to go on. I am going to touch your life and I'm going to make you holy. And I'm going to make you better. He says, you guys cannot touch me and get better. I can touch you and get better. But I'm going against nature. And that is the grace of God. That is completely the grace of God. Then Haggai said in verse 14, So it is with these people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer is defiled. In other words, you guys can never get to me. I can get to you. If it's by law, you remember by law, they would bring all these sacrifices, they would try all these things, but there was nothing good enough to get to God. Men can never get to God. It's impossible. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. He says in verse chapter, uh, chapter 2 of Ephesians, he says, but God in His grace... Through Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice of the holy, then we have connection with God. It is impossible for you and me to get to God. It has to be God getting to us. It is impossible. It is impossible. So God is saying, I'm going to do the impossible. I'm going to reach out to you. I am the holy. I'm going to fix you. You are broken. You are defiled. You are contaminated by sin. I am going to come and I'm going to do this. Uh, and, and so basically, it's, again, it's like saying a healthy person is going to come and get everybody else. You, you, cannot, you cannot do that in, in a normal world. But God is saying, I'm going to go against what's normal. I'm going to... I'm going to pour my grace over you guys. What is grace? 
If this is a message of grace, what is grace? Grace is the gift of God that we do not deserve. So we don't deserve to, for God to touch us. And for us to get better because God is with us. The Bible says that the only thing we deserve, the Bible says, is, but the wages of sin is what? Is dead. You know, I hear a lot of Christians a lot of times saying, well, those are my rights. Let me, let me be honest with you. Do you think as Christians before God, do we have any rights? We don't. We only have the rights that what He has done for us. Oh, that's all. But the wages of sin is dead. You know what my rights were? I had the right to die because of my sin. But the gift of God is salvation through Jesus Christ. That is grace. I deserve that, but I don't get what I deserve. I get grace, forgiveness. And that is what God is basically telling them. You're going to get forgiveness. You are going to get grace. You are going to get grace. Why? In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4, it says that it is because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Not because we deserve it. And so now, in the third message, the message of grace, he's telling them, you know what? You don't deserve this, but I'm saving you. And I'm going to have this relationship with you. You are broken, you are defiled, but I'm going to make you clean, and I'm going to make you better. The, the, the message of grace is a message of hope. It's an amazing message of hope. That means there's nothing you can do on your own. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, without me, you guys can do nothing. That's what Jesus said. And it's like, so I need Jesus to be able to get better? I need Jesus to restore my, my relationship with God? I need Jesus to, 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 you know, to have a new life? To be born again? What does that mean? What does it mean to be born again? It means that you start a new life. You start a, 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 new, a new lifestyle with God. Now you're paying attention to God. Now you're not ignoring God anymore. That means to be born again. That's what it means. You have a new start. You have a new opportunity to start with God all over again. So here is a message of grace. Here's the message of grace. Verse 15. And then God tells them, Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure I touch your lives so I can clean you guys. I'm going against nature, he says. But now, I want you to remember this. Remember, remember, this is what God is telling them. I want you to remember this, verse 15. Now give careful thought to these. And notice what he says, from this day on. From this day on, I want you to remember. So I just promise you, I'm going to clean you. I just promise you I'm going to have a relationship with you. I just promise you I am going to fix what's broken in you. I just, I just told you that right now. So I want you never to forget that day. Never forget this day. In other words, he's telling them, consider how things were before, he says. Because in verse 16 says, let me remind you what, where you're coming from. Let me remind you what were you experiencing before. And this is the third time he reminds them what their life was like before they made God a priority. He says, when anyone came, out, came to a hip of 20 measures, there were only 10. Remember, this is what you experienced. You were working so hard, but you weren't getting back what you were working for. When anyone went to a wine vat to draft 50 measures... There were only 20. So in other words, you were not receiving the blessings. I want you to remember that. I'm going to clean you. I am the Holy One and I'm going to make you holy. I'm going to clean you. I'm going to fix you. But I want you not to forget where you're coming from. I, I, I often tell people, you have to remember what God pulled you out of. And that is what God is telling them. God is telling them, I want you to remember, this is what you were experiencing. This is what you were experiencing as a consequence of your bad choices. 
You were experiencing all these bad things. You never had enough. So you came and got and drank 50 measures of wine, and there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands. God says, I did it on purpose. You know why God does it on purpose? You know why God holds the blessings on purpose? So He can get our attention. And if He doesn't get our attention like that, I don't know what would. What would get, what would get our attention? So, uh, basically, he's, he's telling them, I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hell. Yet, you did not return to me, declares the Lord. So, I'm promising you a message of grace. I am going to clean you. I'm going to go against nature. But when I clean you, I want you to remember, this is what you were experiencing before. These were all the hurts you were going through before. This is how you were hurting in life before. I don't want you to forget where you're coming from. I don't want you to, re- I don't want you to forget. Why were you going through all this bad stuff? It's because you, did, you were not returning to me. You were not giving me my respect. You were not putting me as a priority in your life. So basically, I allow all this things to happen to you so you can come back to me i am i have disciplined you because god disciplines those who love him but those who he love he disciplines those whom he love and god does not uh, let you continue on that path because he loves you so a lot of times he has to use discipline um and in verse 18 he tells them again from this day on so remember he told them Do not forget this day. And now he's telling them, from this day that I'm telling you, from this day on, now that you have returned to me, I just... So, step back. I told you, I'm the Holy One. I'm going to clean you. I'm going to fix you. I'm going to make you better. I want you to never forget where you're coming from. These were the, the stuff that you were experiencing as a consequence because you were not returning to me. But from this day on... Now that you return to me, he says in verse 18, from this, and God makes it specific, from this 24 day of the nine month, I give careful thought again to the day, check this out, when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. When Haggai is giving them this message, on the 24th day of the ninth month, historically, that is when the people of Israel finished placing the foundation of the temple that for 16 years they did not do. He says, now that you finished the foundation of the temple, now that shows me with your actions that I am priority number one in your life. Now that you finish the foundation, now that shows me, God says, that shows me that I am the foundation in your life. And if I am the foundation in your life, I don't want you to forget the day when I became number one in your life, God says. He's telling them that, but He's telling us that. And He says, give, give careful thought. To the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. And, and, and basically, he's telling them, mark this day. The foundation means so much. It was a way of showing that their hearts were back to God. And from this day on, basically, it marks a, an end and a beginning of, of, of life, of a period of time in their life. The finish, the, the beginning and the end. The, be, the, the end of the bad disobedience and consequences. And the beginning of blessings. And he tells them, so mark from this day on. What were they supposed to mark? Uh, and he tells them, have faith in what I'm going to tell you right now. And in verse 19 he says, is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. So, but I'm telling you, remember this day. Remember this day. I'm giving you a promise. Have faith. Because you have changed. I'm promising you what I'm going to do. I don't want you to forget the day when you finally finish the foundation of the temple. It hasn't happened yet, but trust me, it will happen. And then he tells them at the end of that verse, in verse 19, he says, From this day on, what would I do, God says? 
I will bless you. It's so amazing when we're able to understand that. So basically, one step back, God is telling them, I am holy. I'm the only one who can fix you. That's the message of grace. You cannot fix yourself. I can fix you. I can work in your heart. I can, I, I, I can, I can heal those wounds that you have in your soul. You got to trust me. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because you repented. And you're repenting. You're showing your true repentance by putting me as the foundation in your life. Jesus has to be the rock in your life. Jesus has to be the foundation of your life. And he says, because you put me, you show it with your actions, not just with your words. From this day on, I don't want you to forget, I will bless you. What an amazing promise. What an amazing promise. And you might be, Pastor, time is up on the sermon and you still have one message from Haggai. I will be sure on the last one. There will be Sundays when we go over five minutes and it's no big deal, right? Uh, I'm sure you guys came to uh, uh, to a two-hour sermon. And so basically... God is telling them, from this day on, I will bless you. Message of grace. And his fourth message is a message of reaffirmation. Check this out. On, the, on that day, um, he gave a message to the priests. But let me, let me, let me see if anybody remember. He, was, he kept on giving a message to two guys, right, in this book of Haggai. Who were the two guys? Sorobabel and Joshua. So Robabel hasn't received a message. Right now, this third message was only for Joshua and the priests. Remember, Joshua was the priest. So Robabel was the governor. And so they received two different messages on the same day. And when they received the two different messages on the same day, so Robabel still hasn't received his message. Joshua already received his message and Joshua as the priest, as the spiritual leader, he's saying, praise God, grace is here. God is going to forgive us. God is going to bless us from this day on because we obey. But Sarovabel is probably at home thinking, so Joshua got a message, but I haven't got a message. And God, God was giving us a message all the time together. Why is God not giving me a message? If you were in Sorobabel's shoes, let me tell you, you would understand why I'm saying that. And I'll explain that. Sorobabel, as a, one of the leaders in the peop- with the people of Israel at that time, had made a lot of, uh, had failed. He felt like a failure. He felt like a failure and he was waiting, is God going to give me a message or is God forgotten about me? And, 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 and so this is what happens. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the same day. So finally, Sorovabel is going to get his message. So let me tell you, God never forgets about you. You might think God forgets about you, but He never does. You might feel like God forgot about you, but He never does. God knows exactly how we feel. And he says, you know what? On the same day, the Lord brought a message for him. And he, he, he tells, tells Sorovabel, governor of Judah, that I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. And, and, and then he says, you know, he, he tells him what he's promising him. He, he's going to overturn all the royal thrones and, and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. And he's going to do an amazing thing. And, and, and in verse 23, he says, same thing he told Joshua and the priests. He says, on that day, declares the Lord, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Cheltiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring. Do you guys know what a signet ring is? What is that? It's a ring that the kings used to use, Right? They used to put this ring on their finger, and there was no uh, there was uh, there was no email where you can sign or anything like that in those days, right? So the king had this signet ring. If you like uh, if you like stuff from um, uh, Lord of the Rings, for example, you will know that the kings will will, will get this piece of uh, piece of paper, roll it up, and put some um, um, 
wax and then put, put the ring on top so they knew, oh man, this is a seal of the ring. So he tells them, you will be my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord. So let, let, let's pay attention to this so we can finish, uh, we can be successful in finishing the book of Haggai today. Both messages were given on the same day, one earlier than the other. God spoke to the priests, including Joshua, and gave him a message of grace. Now, in the other hand, Zerubbabel, in many ways, he had failed God. And he probably felt like a failure, uh, maybe worthless, because he had failed God. Remember, 16 years before, it was Zerubbabel and Joshua who stopped the rebuilding of the temple. They led opposition, discouraged them. And so here is God giving a message of grace to Joshua, but not a message to Zerubbabel. And now Zerubbabel was not just, that was not the only problem with Zerubbabel, that he probably felt like a failure. God knows how he was feeling. And so, so he knew how Zerubbabel was feeling, and there were reasons why. And one of the reasons that God is pointing to the future is because he's telling Zerubbabel, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. Think about the future. Don't think about your past. Your past, your fail. Sixteen years ago, you dropped the ball. You were supposed to rebuild the temple. You dropped the ball. Look at the future. This, would, this is what I will do. But also, he was, he was also a descendant of a king named Jehoiachin, who was one of the most evil kings in the kingdom of Israel. And because he was a, a, he was a grandson to this bad, horrible king, he probably felt like, I'm not worth it. I'm not worthy of, of God. I'm not, God, I'm done. God is done with me. And God says, let me tell you something, Zerubbabel. I will make you, I will make you what, he says? I will make you a signet ring. You know, I will make you that who gives power to the kings. I will make you that who makes value. It's valuable. For I have chosen you. So, when we hear a message of grace, and we hear that God is not done with you, even, even though whatever happened in your past, and God says, you know what, Sorovabel, you repented. Whatever the, your family members did before, that doesn't count. You repented. I have forgiven you. You are a good man and you have a good heart. And you have shown repentance with your actions. Now I will make you, I will show you how valuable you are to me. It doesn't matter the mistakes or the failures you went through before. Isn't God amazing? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever made mistakes. I made many. And when I see God's grace and forgiveness in my life, I stand in awe. Because God does not forget about us. He didn't forget about Zerubbabel. And he says, Zerubbabel, I'm not just going to keep you as a governor. I'm going to make you. You will be my signet ring. You will be that ring that kings value so much. That gives power to others. That's who you are going to be. Because you have repented. Because you have put me as the priority in your life. Because you have put me as, your, as the foundation in my life. And so, when you read the book of Haggai from now on, you are going to read it from a, with a different perspective. Message one, conviction. Come back to me, says the Lord. Message two, if you get discouraged, do not get discouraged. Here is encouragement. Be brave, be brave, be brave and work because I am with you, says the Lord. Third message, a message of grace. Fourth message, a message of reaffirmation. God wants us to know He's not done with us. And the fact that you're here this morning tells me that God is not done with you. And if you're, if you're, if you're watching this on YouTube, God is not done with you either. Just come back into church. Is God a priority number one in your life? 
How do you know God is a priority number one in your life? Where do you spend the most time? Where do you spend the most time in your day? Are you serving God in any capacity? Are you serving God? I mean, you can, you can even serve God when you grab one of these from the table outside. And you say, I'm just going to put this in my neighbor's doors. Well, that doesn't feel much as serving. No, it is serving God. Because you're doing it with the good heart, with the heart that wants to please the Lord. Are you coming to church? So many people say, you know what, we don't have to go to church now. No, you do. The Bible says, do not stop, do not stop coming to church because a church, it says in the book of Hebrews, is where we're going to encourage each other to good works and to love and to good works. This is where we're going to do it. We're going to encourage one another. Let me ask you a million dollar question. I never talk about this subject. It's been two years and I haven't touched about this. I haven't touched this subject. How are your resources being used? Where do you spend your resources? These people put all their resources in rebuilding God's temple. What do you do with it? You want to know if God is number one in your life? You want things to go better in your life? May God number one in your life. But don't say it. Do it. Do it, please. Do yourself a favor. Experience God's blessings in your life by doing it. Our Father in heaven, we, we thank you so much, Lord. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your mercy. And as we finish this amazing book of Haggai, and we realize what the Bible says, and all the amazing things that we can learn and how lovable and how patient you are with us. We just want to pray, Lord, that you will help us move forward. That we don't get stuck because we know that you have forgiven us. Lord, help us understand how to make you priority number one in our lives. From this day on, we should remember if today we make you the foundation of our lives. We should remember that by doing that, you will bless us. You will give us salvation. Your grace and your mercy will be upon us. In your name we pray. Amen.